the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. You may not understand your desperate condition, but one day you will, because we are all dying of the same terminal disease. It's called sin. There's none righteous, no, not one, and sin is killing us all. Sin is what destroys the human race. It entered the human race because of the sin of our forefather, Adam, but it was dealt with on the cross by what the Bible refers to as the second Adam, who is Jesus who died to forgive us of our sins. As humans, there's no way to avoid making mistakes. We strive to be the best version of ourselves, but messing up is inevitable. In today's message, Pastor Gary wants you to know that the only way to move on from your sins is to accept God's free gift of grace. He sent His Son to be a sacrifice for your mistakes, and wants nothing more than to save you from this dying world. Stake your claim in eternity and move on from the world's lies. You are enough, and God wants to transform you from the inside out. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Isaiah, chapter 44, as he continues his message, The One True God. I keep, like, praying to this, to my lemon God, and he doesn't answer me. I keep worshiping him. I keep trying to make him feel like he's important in my life, and he just, he doesn't do a thing for me. Now, isn't, this is so silly. I feel silly just even illustrating this, but this is what they would do. So they'd make something, they'd fashion it, they'd worship it, and they would think that this could help them. Now, the one thing I want us to recognize in the foolishness and how primitive it seems to us, and it is, to worship something that you make or draw or fashion, is it does highlight something very important, and that's this, that mankind has been created with an innate need to worship something. Mankind has been created by God with an innate need to worship something. And if you are not worshiping the one true God, I guarantee you, you are worshiping some fabrication, imitation, or deception. Everybody worships. It's not a question of whether you do or don't. Everybody worships. And if you're not worshiping the one true God, you are worshiping some fabrication, imitation, or deception. Now, some of you might take issue with that statement and say, no, wait a minute, you know, Pastor G, I was invited by some people here, and I I don't even profess to believe in God. I'm not a Christian. I don't even believe in a supreme being, so I don't worship anything. But just the fact that you 
state it that way indicates to me that you are the center of your universe. And when you are the center of your universe and you are accountable only to you and there is no higher authority in your life, you have by default made you the center of your worship. Your theology or your meology is that self is God. You worship you. Everybody worships something. Even if you say, I have no worship system, that means you are on the throne of your life and you worship self. And the reality is, again, that if we don't worship the one true God, we end up worshiping some other fabrication, imitation, or deception. And this is important for us to understand. How foolish would it have been for Isaiah in his day, in the midst of all this idolatry, to just simply say, well, you know what? I mean, if you want to worship wooden God, or if you want to worship metal God, or some other, you know what? If that works for you, that's okay. I don't want to really infringe on your right to freely worship whatever God you choose to worship. And frankly, even in having this conversation, I feel like I'm not being very tolerant of your ideas. And so I just want you to know you can worship whatever God you want. If it's wooden God, or metal God, or no God, that's totally fine with me and you and whatever you want to call God. I mean, how foolish would it be for Isaiah? To say that, when in the midst of the true living God, idolatry is so prevalent, would Isaiah be doing a service or a disservice to the people of his day to just remain silent in the midst of all that idolatry? No, Isaiah needs to proclaim the true and living God. He wants these people to be helped. He wants these people to be saved. He wants these people to know who the true and living God is and to be rescued from their idolatry and their foolishness. So if it would be so foolish for Isaiah to be reluctant to ever interfere with somebody else's idolatry, then why is it that we are passive when it comes to proclaiming the one true God in our culture? Every time the Bible talks about idolatry, you know most often how the subject is approached in church, and I'm, I'm admitting that I've done it this way too. I'm not saying it's wrong. But we tend to look at ancient idols, and then we kind of translate it into modern idols. So we say, okay, they fashioned things, and they became a priority that superseded God. But now today, we have our own idols, and we got to be really careful of things like, you know, materialism can become an idol. You know, our our career can become an idol. Uh, you know, our iPhones can become an idol. And, you know, we just, and, and so we often translate idol to idol. I want to present this from a different angle. Instead of us looking at a modern transfer of what isn't the equivalent of an idol today, I I submit that we have accepted cultural idolatry by remaining silent about the one true God. Because there are a whole host of other gods that people are worshiping. And to remain silent is not only doing a disservice to them, but it's, it's an unloving thing. It's the equivalent of Isaiah saying, I, I don't really care if you're worshiping these idols of wooden and gold and silver. I know who the one true God is, but if that's your system, then that can be your system. I mean, if we really love people, do we not want them to know the one true God? The passion of Isaiah should be the passion of ours in our generation. 
where we would want people to know, can I introduce you to the one true God? I know you're worshiping either fabrication, imitation, or deception, but I just need you to know the one true God loves you, and the one true God sent his son Jesus to die for you, and if we remain silent, that is tolerance to a lethal level. I know people who will take issue with what I'm saying, because when Christianity presents itself as the one and only way, people get upset about that. And I go, yeah, we don't, I don't like, like hearing this, Pastor G. You know, and if you go around saying, listen, can I introduce you to my God? Because your God can't save you. Can I introduce you to my God? Because your God doesn't love you. Can I introduce you to my God? Because uh, your God cannot help you. People go, oh, don't say that. We don't want to offend people. Listen, it's not intolerant or unloving to want to introduce someone to the one true God who loves them and sent his son Jesus to die for them. It is an unloving thing to remain silent about the most incredible gift that is given to mankind. And we, as the extension of the church, have that opportunity to share that with people. And so, in effect, we put up with idolatry because we don't want to offend people. Is it really offensive? Is it really unloving to want someone to know the true and living God? Is it really unloving to want someone to be forgiven of their sin and free from the guilt associated with it? Is it really unloving to want people to come to salvation, to have a burden for souls? Because we need to be burdened for souls around us. One of the biggest lies I think that we have bought in our politically correct culture is that tolerance means silence. I can be tolerant in the sense of respectful. I can be tolerant in the sense of appreciate someone's where they've come from or or what they believe. Nobody has to be abrasive. Nobody has to be arrogant. Nobody has to be proud or haughty in the way that they present. But to remain silent, to say nothing When God is screaming in these chapters to the people of his day who were caught up in idolatry of a different kind, to remain silent, to not see the passion that God has here of saying, hey, listen, I'm the one true God. Listen, I'm the one true God. You know what God does? He doesn't get angry. He holds out his arms to his people. He's like, don't you see? Those gods can't help you. Those gods can't save you. Those gods can't fix you. Those gods won't answer you. I will. I can. And now we, as the extension of, as the body of Christ, have the opportunity to likewise present that good news in our culture, but we're intimidated because of the idolatry in our own culture. We look at people worshiping other gods, and we think, well, maybe that's okay. It's not okay. If you truly believe Isaiah 46, 9, we read it a moment ago, where God says, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. If we really believe that, We will want as many people to know what we know, that there's a God unequaled and incomparable in heaven who loves you and who sent his son Jesus to die for you. And we must tell others we can't remain silent even in our own generation. C.H. Spurgeon said, before you can become winners of souls, you must first be weepers for souls. Do you have a burden for people around you? Do you ache for their lives if they don't know the one true God? Because we can be in a similar way like Isaiah proclaiming who God is in our world. That's why Paul would say in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Let us not be ashamed, but let us continue to show Christ to people through the way we live and through what we say. Real quickly, 
In Isaiah's day, God distinguished himself from the false gods in three particular ways. For you note takers, I'm going to run through this list really quickly because our time has about escaped us. Number one, he talks about the creation of the universe, that the real God is the creator of the universe, that all other gods don't lay claim to that because they didn't do that. Again, I'm going to read through verses very quickly. Don't bother to turn. Let me highlight them for you. Isaiah 44, 24. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord who has made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. Isaiah forty-five twelve. It is I who made the earth and created mankind upon it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry hosts. And on and on he goes, Isaiah 45, 18 as well. In other words, God says, creation testifies of me. That all you have to really do is examine carefully the intricate complexities of the cosmos and you will see the handiwork of a divine designer. This is why David would write in Psalm 19, 1 and 2, that the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech and night after night they display knowledge. Because David was saying that you cannot behold the grandeur of the universe and deny that there's a God. Creation testifies to his existence. And it's what separates the true God from all other false gods. This is why Paul would write in Romans chapter 1 that men are without excuse. You can't say, I don't know God, because God has revealed himself, making himself clear from what can be observed through creation in Romans 1.20. But if you were to ask Stephen Hawking before he died, he would deny that God is the author of the universe. In Dr. Hawking's book, The Grand Design, in 2010, he wrote this, quote, Because there is a law such as gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. One of the most brilliant men on the planet, he was. And he actually is going to perpetrate this confusing statement upon the human race that everything in our universe created itself from nothing. He goes on in the book to say spontaneous creation is the reason, spontaneous creation is the reason there is something rather than nothing, why the universe exists, why we exist. It is not necessary to invoke God to light the blue touch paper, which is basically a a fuse, and set the universe going. So Hawking in 2010 denied God as the divine designer of the universe, which was in direct contradiction of his earlier work. When he was younger and wiser, in 1988, he wrote a book, A Brief History of Time. And in that book, Dr. Stephen Hawking said this, quote, one can imagine that God created the universe at literally any time in the past. On the other hand, if the universe is expanding, there may be physical reasons why there had to be a beginning. One could still believe that God created the universe at the instant of the Big Bang. He could have even created it at a later time in just such a way as to make it look as though there had been a Big Bang, end quote. I like younger Stephen Hawking more than I do older Stephen Hawking. He was wiser in his younger days. He contradicted himself later in life. He removed God from the equation. I prefer rather to quote the great mathematician, scientist, and father of modern physics, Isaac Newton, who wrote in Mathematica Principia, he said, quote, this most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets 
could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. This being governs all things, not as the soul of the world, but as Lord over all. And on account of his dominion, he is wont to be called Lord God, universal ruler, end quote. God reveals himself in creation. It distinguishes him from all other gods. Number two, also because of the prediction of the future. If you turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 44, I want to point out to you one of the most incredible prophecies in all of the Bible. Outside of the prophecies related specifically to Jesus Christ, there's an incredible prophecy in Isaiah 44 about the king of Persia. In Isaiah 44, verse 24, it says, this is what the Lord says, your redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord who has made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of diviners, who overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it into nonsense, who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, notice this, it shall be inhabited. It was already inhabited when Isaiah is prophesying this. I'll explain. It shall be inhabited of the towns of Judah. They shall be built and of their ruins I will restore them. Who says to the watery deep, be dry and I will dry up your streams. Who says of Cyrus, underline that guy's name. He is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt and the temple, let its foundations be laid. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Isaiah, when you're prophesying in 700 BC, the temple is already there. The city of Jerusalem is fine. It's inhabited. Yeah, but see, Isaiah is prophesying that there's going to come a day because of the Jewish people's unfaithfulness to God, the Babylonians will come, though they had been forewarned. The Babylonians will come, besiege Jerusalem, ransack the city, destroy it, take the Jews captive to Babylon for 70 years. So God is saying to Isaiah, let the people know the city will, re- will be rebuilt. Well, the city looks fine. Yeah, but it's going to be destroyed. It's going to be destroyed, and then it's going to be rebuilt. And a guy by the name of Cyrus that he mentions here is going to actually give an order to allow the Jewish people to return after 70 years of captivity in Babylon to Jerusalem and rebuild their city and rebuild their temple. Okay, great. But what's so spectacular about that prophecy? Here's why. Cyrus won't even be born for another 150 years when Isaiah prophesies him by name. By name. And he's mentioned three times here at the end of chapter 44, at the beginning of chapter 45, verse 1, and also in 45, verse 13. Cyrus hasn't even been born. And 150 years before he's born, Isaiah, by the inspiration of God, is predicting the future. Does that not kind of give street cred to God? Like if God knows all things and can predict the future and even calls a guy by name, the next king of the Medo-Persian Empire, who's going to rise up and overthrow the Babylonians, kind of lends credibility to, to God being the true and living God. You know, liberal theologians, when they read this, they are so amazed that 150 years before Cyrus is born, Cyrus is mentioned by name. Liberal theologians will try to tell you this. And this part is true. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah are distinctly different from the last 27 chapters. And there's a different tone, and there's kind of a different angle and different perspective. And then this is where they go off. So, then they, so what we believe is that Isaiah actually wrote the first 39 chapters 
But the last 27 chapters were probably written by someone else, not Isaiah, long after Isaiah died, so that actually whoever wrote the last 27 chapters saw these things fulfilled and then wrote them about it as if it were history. Okay, well, here's the problem with that. See, Jesus in the New Testament quotes from both sections of Isaiah, and Jesus attributes both sections, the first 39 chapters and the last 27 chapters, to Isaiah himself. So, who am I going to believe actually wrote the book of Isaiah? Let me see. Let me see. The liberal theologians or... I'm going to go with Jesus. (laughs) I'm going to go with Jesus. But that's how amazing the prophecy is at 150 years ahead of time. Do you know Josephus, first century historian, now this part we don't know biblically, but historically, Josephus writes that Daniel, the prophet, who was kept in Babylon as a part of the exiles taken captive, and he was retained by Cyrus when Cyrus became king of Persia. And we know that part is true, because in the book of Daniel, Daniel also prophesies to Cyrus. Josephus says that Daniel read Isaiah to Cyrus and said, did you know that 150 years before you were born, my God put your name in my book, that you are going to allow the Jewish people to go back to their homeland and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And Cyrus went, moi? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're listening. Let me show you three times. Your name is mentioned right here in the book of Isaiah. Really? Yeah. And you're supposed to lead the Jewish people. No kidding. Yeah. And Ezra chapter 1 verse 1 in your Old Testaments, because it's not in chronological order, Ezra chapter 1 verse 1 says in the first year of the reign of King Cyrus, he issued a decree that all the Jews should go back and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And God foretold it 150 years before Cyrus was even born. That's the God we serve. There's no other God that can save you except the true and living God. In Isaiah chapter 45 Verse 20, latter part of verse 20, ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood, who pray to gods that cannot save. Declare what is to be, present it to them, let, it take them, let, let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and Savior. There's the word again. There is none but me. Turn to me. This is verse 22 of chapter 45. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. We all need to be saved. We all need to be rescued. You may not understand your desperate condition, but one day you will. Because we are all dying of the same terminal disease. It's called sin. There's none righteous, no, not one, and sin is killing us all. Sin is what destroys the human race. It entered the human race because of the sin of our forefather Adam, but it was dealt with on the cross by what the Bible refers to as the second Adam, who was Jesus, who died to forgive us of our sins so that we might be right with God. We all need to be saved. And no other God can save you except the God of the Bible. Because no other God is real, no other God is legitimate, no God is able to save you. Wooden God can't save you, metal God can't save you. Hindu God can't save you, Muslim God can't save you. Mormon God can't save you, Jehovah's Witness God can't save you. Baha'i faith God can't save you. Buddhist God can't save you. There's only one God, and we either believe Isaiah 46, 9 or we don't. That I am God, 
and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. And that God, that one unique, unequaled, incomparable God, offered His Son Jesus on a cross. This is why Acts 4 verse 12 says that salvation is found in no other name, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. And that name is Jesus. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message again in Isaiah, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go. You'll find a link at our website along with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could be praying for? We'd be honored to do that for you. So please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners. Just send us a quick email and we'll get back to you soon. That email address is prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. So put a marker where we left off in Isaiah and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time. Thanks again for listening to today's teaching right here on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.